Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt the Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message. So today we're going to have a study from Scripture. I hope you do have your Bibles with you. And I, I know most of you use your phone, but I hope you will be able to thumb through whichever version you use. I'll be using the New King James Version. And this study really uh, goes back in some of Israel's history. And by the time we're through today, uh, we will cover passage of Scripture from really from the Torah into the Nevi'im, the prophets, into the Ketuvim, the writings, commonly called the Tanakh, and also to the Brit Hadashah, all the way up to the book of Revelation. So please don't be scared. It won't take that long to do all that. But um, when I think about Israel's history, there are certain periods in Israel's history that are, are very alluring to me, and perhaps they, there are some in Israel's biblical history that's alluring to you. I also love the modern history of Israel and what God has done. It's, it's so miraculous, the reformation of the nation of Israel. It's a miraculous thing. But it's, it's, if we go back into what the Scripture tells us, and I hope here that we are all people of God's Word, of the book as it's called. As we go back to Israel's history, we find a, a kind of a mixed bag of things. For example, in the time of the kings, the period of the kings of Israel, there were some of the kings that were, were basically good kings. And unfortunately, there were quite a bevy of them who weren't so good, that really didn't set their hearts towards the Lord. And have you noticed a difference uh, with people in general? No, it's, it's true with people in general. There are some folks that really have set their heart towards the Lord and others who, you know, don't. And my prayer is that, and really the goal of my life is to see people turn to the Lord because ultimately He's going to have the final word. How many of you believe that God's going to have the final word of everything? He's going to. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. He is the, uh, the as we've said today, He's the who was and is and who is to come. Now, when we think about Israel's history, particularly its biblical history, and the idea of a golden era comes up, most people think in terms of Melech David, King David, and Shlomo, his son, Solomon. And when we think about that history, that golden era, um, there's a lot of positives that we can think of. Most of this is described in the Scripture. We see as we read the scripture during the time of King David, it wasn't all hunky-dory. There were some difficult times, and he had a difficult life, as did Solomon. There were issues that they faced. But in general, at that time in Israel's history, that golden era, as it's often called in Jewish thinking, there was relative stability. As David came and really got hold of the throne, in a sense, by God's decree, there was a relative stability in the land. There was relative prosperity in the land. And there was relative peace, even with the neighbors around them. Was it total peace? No. Was it total stability? No. Was it total prosperity? No. But there was relatively each of those things that happened. And during the time of David and also during Shlomo, Solomon's time, uh, the borders of Israel were extended. And the religious life of Israel, particularly under King David, but also under Solomon, and particularly the beginning part of Solomon's reign, the religious life of the people was increased. And Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, can you say Yerushalayim? Let's hear that again. Yerushalayim. Jerusalem was and remains uh, Israel's eternal capital. Uh, that's non-negotiable, really, when you think about it. But something happened under King Solomon that was very critical. 
It's called the Beit HaMikdash, the temple. The temple was constructed under King Solomon. You remember King David, uh, Solomon's father, so much wanted to build the temple, but he was not allowed to by the Lord. But he put a lot in place so that when King Solomon, when David's son Shlomo or Solomon uh, became king, he was able to, to go forward with the building of the temple. If you've never really delved into that history, I encourage you to. Carl mentioned uh, during the Torah reading that uh, if you like narrative, well, if you really like narrative, Kings and Chronicles is a continuous narrative as is Joshua and Judges. So Solomon um, was able to, to construct with the help and, of many people and with materiel, construct this beautiful temple, the Beit HaMikdash in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Yet, yet, to parody the famous words of William Shakespeare, there was something rotten in Jerusalem. <laughs> All those good things that I mentioned, they, they took place. You can read about them in Scripture. They're detailed to some degree in Scripture, the relative peace, the relative stability, the prosperity. But even as you're reading during the reign of Melech David, King David, and Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon, you, you're something, there's something underneath that, something that was happening. And issues began to surface as you carefully read Scripture. You can read of the issues that begin to surface in David's reign and in Solomon's reign. What were some of the issues? Well, they sound uh, surprisingly, or maybe not so surprising, like issues that we face today. For example, some of the, the issues that developed during the, the time of uh, David and Solomon were the people started to become more and more divided. Here, the, the kingship, they were trying to get people united, but eventually there, there was a fissure that happened. The people were divided. Uh, they started to become increasingly divided. They rallied around individuals. Some wanted to be around David. Some eventually wanted to be around Absalom. They, uh, Shlomo, Solomon, as he becomes king, and particularly as his life proceeds forward, all this is detailed in Scripture quite well. Uh, you, he, there's a fissure there, too. There's this, this almost anticipation of when Solomon dies, well, the whole thing's going to fall apart. The people increasingly became pleasure seekers. Does that sound like American society? <laughs> they were increasingly losing their spiritual moorings. So eventually the temple's built. There's a beautiful temple. And underneath there's this undercurrent of people straying away from spiritual moorings. They had the building, but what was happening inside of them? And do you know here today that what's happening inside of you, what's going on in your life is very important to our Lord. And I don't say this glibly. He loves you and he cares about you. And he wants the very best for you. And as, as many of you have found out, and I certainly have been learning my lessons in this area, it's much better to go along with him, to follow his plan in life, than to make up your own. Because basically that's what happened, particularly with Solomon, began to go his own way. Read the book of Kohelet, book of Ecclesiastes, and you, you realize, uh, as, as the testimony of Ecclesiastes says, uh, you know, I've gained this and I've gained that, and I had this and I had that, and I did this and I did that. And he sums up at the end. So this is the end of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to everyone. And he warns in a sense, particularly in chapter 12 of Kohelet of Ecclesiastes, that ultimately, as I said just prior, and to put it in my terms, ultimately God has the final word there. So the people began to lose their spiritual moorings. As you read towards the end of Solomon's reign, for example, you see that clearly and they began to act more and more like a heathen nation, some of those nations around them, rather than a covenant nation. A covenant nation that's described in really the words of uh, David in Tehillim in Psalm 33, verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance, but the, the individual, the nations, and individual and the nation are going the other direction. 
Or similarly, in Psalm 144, verse 13, it says, Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed, happy are those people, but by the end of Shlomo's reign, the end of Solomon's reign, at the, really the, as the curtain's starting to come down on this golden era in Israel's history, its biblical history, the people look more like or acting more like a heathen nation than a covenant nation. And there's a parallel here, I think. If we look at what the Brit Hadashah, what the New Covenant says, there's a real parallel and it's written it's starkly. It's starkly written for us. And in passages like Second Timothy chapter three, when we look at the end times, and most of us would agree we are in the end times. How many agree with that? By the way, are we in the end times? <laughs> yes, we are. And each day it gets more and more ender. You know, we're coming more and more to the end of it. And Rav Shaul, I'm so thankful for how God used Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, and his writings. And inspired him. He, they're God breathed. They're inspired. They're the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter three, beginning with verse one, says this, and it earmarks a particular time in human history. It says, "But know this: He wants them to realize this." As he writes, he wants Timothy to understand this, to know this, to realize this. But know this, and then he says this, and he earmarks. He says that in the last days. And many of you raised your hand when I asked you how many thought it was the end of times here. We're in the last days. Many raised their hands. That in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, the passage doesn't stop there. begins to describe these perilous times, and particularly the people in these last days at these perilous times. Verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, For men will be lovers of themselves... Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, and that's a lot of uns right there, <laughs> slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And verse 5, such a strong verse here describing what it will be like here. 2,000 years later, we look at this passage and say, yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. It's so important in a Messianic synagogue, and I would suggest to you in any congregational setting, that we not shy away from proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah. Now, I love Messianic Judaism. It's my life. It's, I've, I have never been a part of a, a church or anything like that. My wife and I are very much involved in Messianic Judaism. But it's so important within a Messianic Jewish context that we not forget about the tree, the execution stake, the cross of what Yeshua did for us. And as long as I'm up here, that's not going to happen at Rosh Pina. We are going to continue to proclaim Yeshua's sufferings and thankfully his resurrection. The power of the Holy Spirit as we will celebrate, Lord willing, this coming Thursday for Shavuot. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And isn't this a strong word? Rav Shaul writes to Timothy, says, and from such people, turn away. There are many implications to that, but for one thing, we can be impacted by the lives of those around us. It's so important for us to make sure we are in good fellowship and in a good situation fellowship-wise. Well, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this time similar things are happening in the United States. And I'm just speaking about the United States. I mean, I'm sure we could add other nations to the list here. But similar things are happening as Rav Shaul, as Paul warned about, and he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. There's divisiveness over many issues in this country. 
Pleasure-seeking, I think, is at an all-time high. <laughs> there is idolatry of so many different forms of idolatry that's taking place in the country. There's drifting away from godly spiritual moorings that I believe were, were the, uh, at least the, the inspiration or the inclination of the founders of this nation. Godly spiritual moorings, there's drifting away from that. And I think this next thing disturbs me as much as any. Not that these previous things don't disturb me. But the disregard or the outright mocking of God, his spirit and his word and godly people, that disturbs me. How many of you notice there's a, uh, a tendency towards that now more than in my short life that I've noticed going on right now, whether it's the, uh, being the bane of jokes by the comedians on late-night television or uh, the, 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 the plot line of movies, uh, you, you name it, it's happening, or in the, in the marketplace, in the, in the, the, the uh, place of, of thoughts and thinking place in our society, people that are believers are often mocked, made to look poor as if there's something wrong with believers in Yeshua. I'm here to affirm you today. If you're a believer in Yeshua, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. If you're walking in sin in your life, of course that's wrong. The scripture says we need to repent and turn to God. But if your basic tendency, you're, you're prone in your life, you've committed your life to following the Lord, you are absolutely acceptable to God. And by the way, it's more important to be acceptable to Him than anything else. <laughs> As the scripture said, if God is for you, who can condemn you or stand against you? So friends, be encouraged if you're a believer to be steadfast in your faith. Don't, don't be pushed aside, but to be steadfast in your faith, resolute in your faith, especially it's difficult for younger people nowadays. But Second Peter also says this. Have you noticed this passage? Second Peter chapter 3, Second Timothy chapter 3, now there's Second Peter chapter 3, particularly dealing with the idea of mocking. Beloved, I now write to you in verse 1 and forward, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, and reminders can be good things that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, the shlichim, the emissaries of the Lord and Savior. And then verse 3, it says this, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and not to be outdone, in the book of Yehuda, Jude, chapter 1, there's only one chapter, but Jude chapter 1, beginning with verse 17, it says, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time, mockers who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. And then in Jude, in the book of Yehuda, he begins to describe them somewhat. He says, these are sensual persons. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh. The scripture tells us at the time of Solomon's death, the end of this golden era, as it's commonly referred to now, the nation of Israel split into two segments, commonly called the Northern Kingdom, which came under Jeroboam's rule, and the Southern Kingdom under the rule of Solomon's son, Rehoboam. You read this history, it's quite fascinating because there's this split that occurs. I mean, it's like the, the, it was all there. There was something rotten in Jerusalem. There's something under undercurrent happening within the whole nation of Israel. But because David and Solomon were alive, it somehow held together. But when Shlomo, when Solomon dies, there's a major split. Actually, begins the fissure begins even before Solomon passes away. Now, that's the main topic here today. 
Second Chronicles chapter 12. Let me read you this passage. Of, and it describes what happened. We'll, we'll particularly focus on Rehoboam. Rehoboam, who was the legitimate son of Solomon. Here's what happened. Second Chronicles chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. Now it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, notice this, that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. In other words, the king went one direction and he led the people that direction too. He forsook the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, Tarath Adonai, and all Israel went along with him. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. And King Shishak of Egypt came with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 horsemen, and people without number who came with him out of Egypt, the Lubim and the Sukiim and the Ethiopians, and he took the fortified cities of Judah and he came to Jerusalem. Verse 5, notice how God begins to intervene. How merciful is the Lord? How many of you believe the Lord is merciful? Has he been merciful to you? He has been merciful to you. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and the leaders of Judah who were gathered together in Jerusalem because of Shishak and said to them, thus says the Lord, you have forsaken me and therefore I also have left you in the hand of Shishak. Whoa. <laughs> verse 6, at that point, at the end of verse 5 in this passage in Second Chronicles chapter 12, it can go many directions. The text tells us what happens next. So the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves. And they said, the Lord is righteous. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, verse 7 of Second Chronicles, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah saying, they have humbled themselves, therefore I will not destroy them but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, verse 8 is a critical verse in this narrative. Nevertheless, they will be his servants. They will be his servants that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. Verse 9. So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields which Solomon had made, and they were so proud of those gold shields. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. When Rehoboam humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely and things also went well in Judah. Now, if I was to ask you in an open forum type situation, what do you think the main point is here? Many of you would say, humble yourself. <laughs> How many of you agree? Humble yourself is an important point to this. Humble yourself even for the king, even for those who are leaders must humble themselves. Yet as Rehoboam became more self-assured, it was the fifth year of his rule that Shishak came against him. He's had four years to kind of get, get settled and begin to more and more feel, uh, how do you say, his proverbial oats. You know, I'm the king. And strengthened himself, as the text says. So he became more self-assured and more confident as king. You know, it does take, take some time when you transition into a new place. So think about transitioning into the new, a new job or a new place of education, or even into a new neighborhood. It takes some time to get your, you know, your feet under you and to feel assured. And this kind of happened with Rehoboam. 
And as he felt stronger, he made a very serious mistake. He pulled away from the Lord. He pulled away from the Lord. And no longer wanted to give heed to the word of the Lord. And friends, if you don't hear anything else I say here today, please hear this. I, I implore you, do not pull away from the Lord in your life, no matter what. And do not discard his word in your life, no matter what. Always keep the Lord in front of you and his word as central to your life. Always let those be central to you, no matter what happens. Keep him first. Seek him first, as it says in Matthew 6.33. Seek him first. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and then all the other things will, will take their place. So he, he pulled away from the Lord as he got more confident, and he began not heeding the Lord's word. And worse still, and some would say this was the worst thing he did, he did that personally. He pulled away from the Lord, and he pulled away from the Lord's word, but he did something else. He led the whole nation astray. Friends, it's important for us to pray for those who are in authority in this nation. I say that not as a political statement. I say that as a spiritual statement. We're commanded in 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for all those who are in authority over us. It's very easy for us to kvetch about their decisions and, oh, I don't like what he did or she did, etc., we should go a little farther than that and be more spiritual than that, and we should go and pray for that person. They're making decisions that impact our lives. They're making decisions on a local level. Pray for those that are the mayor of your town or city. Pray for those that are making decisions on a local level that impact you. Pray for our governor. This is not a political statement. This is a spiritual statement. Pray for them. Put the politics aside. Put the, the party ideology aside and just pray for them because you want them to be successful as the Lord deems success. You want them to be successful and to walk right with the Lord so that they would influence their area of responsibility towards godliness. That's exactly what Rehoboam didn't do. He influenced the people away from the Lord, away from the Lord's word. 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 1 said, let me read it to you again. Remember, it told us this. It said, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom, 2 Chronicles 12, verse 1, and he had strengthened himself that he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel along with him. And it happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. Why did Shishak, the king of Egypt, come up against Jerusalem? Well, the answer is there, at least partially in the text, because they had transgressed against the Lord. Friends, be aware that when we transgress against the Lord and we do things that aren't right in his sight, that does not put us in a good place. And we could even influence others to go the wrong way. And the Torah particularly warned about this in Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. It says, and, and Moshe, and Deuteronomy says kind of his last statements to the children of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. When you have eaten and are full, notice the next statement. Then you shall bless the Lord your God. For the good land which he has given you. Sometimes when we're eaten in full, and he's warning here, what happens? Well, we, we forget about the Lord. Now, I know that doesn't happen here among us. I hope it doesn't happen. But we need to be on our God con guard constantly. That when we feel satisfied, we're eating in full, that's also a time of challenge for us. We want to make sure that our inclination of our heart, our directions and actions, the way we're thinking are towards the Lord, even though we're satisfied. And we feel content. We might even be saying, Nada, boy, you did a good job to ourselves. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Verse 11, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Beware, beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. And it continues in the same chapter, Devarim chapter 8, verse 17, and says, And then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Beware, it says.
It's so important to live our lives knowing Adonai is our strength, the Lord is our strength, knowing that. That even amid all life circumstances, and some circumstances are good in life, and some are neutral, and some are not so good. But in the midst of whatever circumstance you're facing in life, or you may face, it's important to remember that Adonai, the Lord, is what? He is our strength. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 says it so well. Rob Shaul, he says, I know how to be abased. What a way, what a thing to say. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Some of us are more uh, direct in certain areas, but he said, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And I think verse 13, it's often quoted not quite in this context, but we've just read some of the context of verse 13. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Let's say that together. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Let's say that one more time. I can do all things through Messiah who strengthens me. Second Chronicles chapter 12 also tells us that Adonai allowed Shishak, the king of Egypt, to come against Rehoboam and his people. The Lord allowed it. And Shishak was somewhat successful in his venture against Israel. Remember what it said in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 4? It said, and Shishak took, he took, he captured, he took the fortified cities of Judah, the ones that seemed to have guards around them. He took the fortified cities of Judah and then he came to Jerusalem. And in response to Shishak's success and the peril that brought, imagine there they are in Jerusalem and they, they know the word's gone out. Shishak has successfully taken all these villages and they were fortified villages. And word gets back. And again, Rehoboam and the leaders, they did something very good here. They humbled themselves. They humble themselves. And in a sense, to put it another way, when you humble yourself, you're really dealing with pride, your own pride at times. They humble themselves, and the text tells us that God took notice that they humble themselves. There's a great lesson for us there. The Lord knows really what's happening in our lives. If, you, if you're here today and you think he really doesn't know what's going on in your life, please change your way of thinking because he does. He knows exactly and that, that's, a, that's a blessing. Isn't it nice to know that what you're facing in life, that you have the Lord, the Lord is aware of what you're going through? It's a blessing. And Rehoboam and the leaders, they humbled themselves, and it says the Lord took notice of that. But pride does remain a major issue for humanity, including believers, just as it was for Rehoboam. He felt pretty accomplished. I mean, he's in his fifth year of the reign. Things are, he feels pretty established there. Yet God is really clear about pride. If you wonder how clear he is, well, take a, take a look at Yeshayahu Bet, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. It says, For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, upon everything lifted up. And if you wonder what the outcome will be, well, Isaiah spelled it out quite well, and it, and it shall be brought low. And the new covenant in the book of Yaakov in James chapter 4, verse 10, in one of the many commandments we find in the new covenant, it says, humble yourselves where? In the sight of the Lord. That can mean when you're alone by yourself, you humble yourself. You're not doing it for the applause of, of people. You're doing it before the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And in fact, as I mentioned before, he sees everything happening with us, and humbling yourself, no matter where it is, is always the best approach. Knowing who God is and knowing who you are in God is a good definition of humility. So as Rehoboam and his leaders, as they humbled themselves, they did something very interesting. It's just a simple statement in the text. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 6. 
Here's what they did. It says, so the leaders of Israel and the king humbled themselves. Notice the next part. And they said, the Hebrew is just two words that they said. And they said, tzaddik Adonai. Translated into four words in English. The Lord is righteous. They were, con- they were confronted about what they were doing. And they concluded, and they said two words, at least as it's recorded in Second Chronicles 12. They said the Hebrew is Sadiq Adonai. Will you say that with me? Sadiq Adonai. Let's try that again. Sadiq Adonai. Adonai is the one way to say the Lord, and Sadiq means righteous, righteous. Now, what's interesting to me about this, it's a very simple thing that they did. They simply said, they said, Sadiq Adonai, the Lord is righteous, when they were confronted about what they were doing. You know what they didn't do? They did do this. They said, the Lord is righteous. You know what they didn't do? They didn't try to justify themselves. They didn't try making excuses. Well, Lord, you don't understand. They didn't make excuses. Or they didn't argue with the Lord. When the Lord pointed out something to them, he uses prophetic word to do it. They didn't argue with the Lord or contend with the Lord about it. They said, Adonai, Sadiq, Sadiq Adonai, the Lord is righteous. In other words, he's right about this. Friends, be sure if God places his hand on you and he begins to convict you about something, come away from the arguing part and go to the place of humbling yourself. Come to that place where you say, Sadiq Adonai, the Lord is right about this. The Lord is right about this. And they, so they proclaim the Lord's righteousness rather than make excuses or come up with all kinds of things to justify themselves. They proclaim the Lord's righteous, Sadiq Adonai, the Lord is righteous about this. And Rehoboam's grandfather, who was King David, he declared in Psalm 25, beginning with verse 8, he said, Good and upright is the Lord. (laughs) Good and upright is the Lord. And I can't tell you how many times in my life that I've grabbed hold of this scripture. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. And I'm so thankful that he could teach someone like me his ways. And you know what? He's an equal opportunity teacher. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he teaches sinners in the way. And it continues in verse 9 of Tehillim 25, Psalm 25. It says, the humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. You want to learn the ways of the Lord? Make sure humility's at the very bottom of your base that you're building on, humbling yourself before the Lord. Well, the humbling brought upon Rehoboam, is vividly pictured. I don't know if you caught it when we were reading through this section, but in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 9, it says, So Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and here's where some of the humility starts to come, the humbling process, and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Took them away. Here's this pagan, this heathen, comes and just takes these things away. It says, and it amplifies this whole idea. It says what? He took everything. He also carried away the gold shields, notice this, which Solomon had made. Gold shields that Solomon had made. So then King Rehoboam, what does he do? He made bronze shields in their place. So he went from the gold standard to the bronze standard. (laughs) How many think there's a bit of a change there? (laughs) Just the visual of gold, sparkling gold, is incredible. And and bronze to me is not in the same category. (laughs) Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And, And notice verse 11, whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard would go and bring them out. Then they would take them back into the guard room. Interesting point of action. 
there's this sense there that they would bring these things out, but there's this sense of, wow, we don't want to even show these bronze things too much because what might happen to the bronze? Well, think of what happened to the gold shields. So they stow them away. So they bring them out just when the king's here, and then they take them away out of sight. And as it is, uh, as it was then, it still is now for us, friends here today, there's a major issue. I want to camp on this before we conclude. And that major issue is servanthood. We're told in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 7 and 8. Let me read that to you again. Now, when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying, they have humbled themselves. Therefore, I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. There's a, almost a for, foreboding sense to that. It's, it's not going to come from Shishak. Uh, it's like, but it is going to come from someone else. <laughs> I'm holding back for now. My wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Later on, it would come through the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Nevertheless, they will be his servants and then it says this gem of an idea here, that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kings of the nations. Now, although God intervened and he responded to how the leaders humbled themselves, he still wanted them to learn an important lesson, and it's an important lesson for us in the 21st century. As he stated it in Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8, he said it so clearly that they may distinguish my service from the service of the kingdoms of the nations. He wanted them to get this. And I'm convinced, and perhaps you would agree with this idea, I'm convinced that learning to serve the Lord in life is among the most important lessons we can learn. Learning to serve him. And we have to think also when we start talking about serving him, if we're not serving him, what are the other options? Or to put it this way, who are we serving? Or what are we serving? The best thing we can do with our lives, whether we're younger or whether we're older, is to serve the Lord with gladness. And I like to say, not with madness, not with sadness, not with badness, not with radness. You fill in the blanks. We are to serve the Lord with gladness. And what a privilege and honor. Do you consider it an honor to be allowed to serve the creator of the universe, to actually be his servants, to be called by his name in a sense? I consider it a great honor. Colossians chapter 3, which was addressed to bond servants, beginning with verse 22 says, And whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And then it says this. It's an emphasis statement. For you serve the Lord Messiah. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Messiah. That means at your workplace, you can work and do it as unto the Lord. And you're at home, in the workplace at home, you can do it as unto the Lord, to serve Him, to glorify Him. And of course, Yeshua is our supreme example of what it means to be a servant. Remember what it says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. It says, let this mind, let this attitude, this point of view in life, let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua, who being in the form of God, did not consider Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And this is very moving to me, the next thing. Here's the Lord of the universe, the creator of all things. Through him, all things were created. And it says, he made himself of no reputation and taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Hallelujah for the incarnation. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the tree, the cross, the execution state. That's the example Yeshua gave us. And when we read Revelation, if you carefully read through Revelation, surprise, surprise, you find the word servants of the Lord fairly often. For example, you see the distinguished place that God's servants hold in the outworking of God's ultimate plans as are revealed in Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, beginning with verse 5, there's this immense passage that says, Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. There's a servant of God's, and what are they doing? They're doing something that parallels what Rehoboam did. Rehoboam said, Sadiq Adonai, righteous is the Lord. The Lord is righteous. And they're seeing in Revelation this scene, this snapshot we get in Revelation 19. The servants of the Lord, both small and great, what are they doing? What are they saying? They're saying, hallelujah for the Lord God, omnipotent, the Almighty One, reigns. And true servants of God, true servants of God, are quick to humbly praise and worship Him. It is a characteristic of a servant of God. They want to praise God and they want to worship Him. And you know, we're told it's one of the things that the Father seeks. He seeks those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, according to John 4. 2 Chronicles 12, 12 then concludes, it says, When Rehoboam humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him so as not to destroy him completely, and things also went well in Judah. Now, there's a grand lesson, I think, to derive from this. It will be well with us if we walk humbly with the Lord. Because he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly. To love mercy. And what? To walk humbly with you, God. He's shown you this. And it's a grand lesson for us. We need to really latch on to this in our lives, that it will be well with us and will impact those around us in a much better way for the Lord eternally when we walk humbly with the Lord. And as we do so, the influence on others will be kingdom positive rather than kingdom negative. Do you know how much negative influence there's going on now in the airwaves, the television place, uh, all the media stuff? It's not totally debauched, but it's getting there. But we want to influence others in a kingdom-positive manner. Well, the rulers that came after Rehoboam, as you read the testimony in Kings and Chronicles, you read the testimony, at times there were some who served God, but sadly, more often than not, they didn't, or they did it half-heartedly. Or to describe it another way, they lived according to their own ways, their own standards, and most of them refused to humble themselves. This was to their hurt and to the hurt of those they were leading. And there's much more to say about Rehoboam, but I'm going to conclude now with one passage from the New Covenant that, for me, is a summation passage. It hits some of the main points about Rehoboam. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, and it's in command form, by the way. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. The idea is don't put your affections, your heart of hearts on these things. Where are we to set our affections? Colossians says, set your affections on things above. The very God of gods, set your affections on him. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this world system, the cosmos, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And I leave you with verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God does what? Abides forever. Will you pray with me, please? 
Lord, thank you that you gave us your word, even the testimony in Chronicles and Kings and in the Ketuvim, the writings, so that we might learn more of your ways and not be caught up in the things and the ways of this world. And thank you, Lord, that in your wisdom you placed us in the world, but you said we are not of the world, that we are an example, example people. Lord, I pray for each person here that you will use each person in their particular sphere of influence. You'll use each person for your kingdom. Where humility is needed, Lord, that you will bring us humility. Where wisdom is needed, Lord, grant your wisdom, please. Where provision is needed, Lord, please grant your provision. And where shalom, well-being, and peace is needed, Lord, you are the nice shalom. You are the Lord who is our peace. Please help us as we face the things in this world to be your servants, that we would be able to distinguish what it means to truly serve you as opposed to being servants of this world. Thank you, Lord. May your name be praised in our lives and here in this community because you are the Lord over this community. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.